We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you are a doctor person, you like to go to the doctor, will you raise your hand? I'm just trying to see who we got today. Okay, we got maybe 10 people that like the doctor. If you're not a doctor person, if you avoid it at all costs, raise your hand. Some of y'all haven't raised either hand. You have to, this is like binary, one or the other. Okay, we got a lot of people that avoid the doctor. Okay, I, I, I feel you. Uh, previously, I had a streak of not going to the doctor in about 10 years. Um, but, I, but I've turned a new leaf and I have a doctor I like and I've been going to him and he's been helping me a lot. So anyway, we're talking about Jesus's healing ministry. As a community, we've been studying through the gospel of Luke to kind of look at Jesus and learn from him every week as we gather. Dr. Luke has taken us into a section of Jesus' ministry where we see one healing miracle after another. And so we're focusing in on learning about Jesus as our wounded healer. We saw last week that the Gospels give us 72 stories of Jesus healing people. He's known as the great physician, God our healer. And we see him healing people over and over and over again. 41 of those are distinct stories, different stories that, that don't overlap. Sometimes there's a story in Luke that's also in Mark. But there are 41 distinct stories. And then many times in those stories, they represent not one person being healed, but you'll hear of many being healed. So maybe those 41 or really maybe 400 or 4,000 people that Jesus brought healing to as a part of his ministry. Point being... Jesus had a passion and a focus and a priority to bring healing to people. It was not a side hustle, something he did kind of sometimes when he got to it, but it was a central thing that he was about and a central way that you and I can understand his ministry. So it's important for us to learn about it. Today, you're going to learn how to pray for the sick. You're going to be equipped. We're going to look at Jesus and because we're a community that wants to practice the way of Jesus, you're going to be equipped in how to pray for the sick in the way of Jesus. That's what we're going after today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read this story to you, and then we're going to go back and look through it and see how we can also be a part of the healing ministry of Jesus. Luke 7, verse 11, soon afterward, meaning soon after Jesus healed the centurion servant, which we talked about last week. If you missed last week, you can listen to it on iTunes. It kind of connects to this week. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. This was a funeral procession. In Jesus' day, they carried people kind of on a stretcher called a bier, which we're going to read about. They carried them outside the city to the tombs where they were buried. So he walks up upon a funeral. And there was a large crowd from the town that was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Verse 14, then Jesus went up and touched the beer that they were carrying him on. Again, that's the stretcher, not the drink. He touches the beer and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They, being the crowd around them, Jesus' disciples, they were all filled with awe and praise God, saying, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. 
So you see, of course, right, if you were there, if you were at this funeral and Jesus walked up and raised someone from the dead, of course, people would be like, oh my goodness, what has happened? God has come to help his people and news spreads everywhere. Kind of get the basics of the story. So let's go through and kind of break it down verse upon verse to understand uh, what's going on here and how we can be equipped in ministering healing in the way of Jesus. So what I want you to notice in this story is that Jesus, the setting is he's in a town called Nain. Now, if you've never heard of Nain, there's good reason. It is an insignificant town in the middle of nowhere. There, other than this story in the Bible, there's no great historical event that happened there. There's no great resources that were there, natural resources that would make people want to live there. It's not on an international highway that was a place of trade. It is in the middle of nowhere. How many of you are from a town in the middle of nowhere? Anybody? Okay, so middle of nowhere place, totally insignificant. That's name. It's 25 miles away from Capernaum where Jesus last was. And so what we see here is that Jesus has gone out of his way, walked 25 miles with his disciples, with a crowd of people who are around him to get to this random hole in the wall, nowheresville city called Nain. It's not on his way to somewhere else, right? You think 25 miles, I don't know that I've ever walked 25 miles in my life. Like that is a long way. It's not like, oh, I live around the corner, let's swing around there. No, it's like, you'd really have to go out of your way and really want to go to a place to walk 25 miles. And we see in the opening lines of this story why Jesus is there. He walks up and he sees a funeral happening. And in this funeral, you see that there's a widow who's lost her only son. We're in verse 12. So think about this woman. She's a widow. That means that she has lost her husband, that she has seen her husband die and be buried and gone through that loss. If you've ever lost a spouse or you have a, a parent who's lost a spouse or you have a friend who's lost a spouse, you know the grief and the hardship that this woman has been through. But not only has she lost a spouse, now she's lost a child as well. Not one among many children, but her only son, her only child. She's lost a child. We grieve when we see a spouse, one spouse lose another spouse, but it's kind of a, a part of life. Something different happens to us when we see a parent bury a child, right? Children are supposed to bury their parents. Here we see a parent burying a child. When we see that, something inside of us just goes up and says, this is not fair. This is not right. There's something wrong about a parent burying their child. And that's where this woman is. She suffered great loss. Not only has she lost her husband, not only has she lost her only son, but for all intents and purposes, she's lost her future. You see, the job market for women in Jesus' day was not strong. There weren't many economic opportunities available. And so if your husband passed away, your hope as a widow centered on one of your sons caring for you, providing for you, making a place for you. And so this woman not only is grieving the loss of her son, not only is grieving the loss of her husband, but now is facing a very bleak future out ahead of her. She's been shattered by life. 
Some of you here today, you may be here today and you may connect with this woman. You may feel like you have been shattered by life. Life is hard. Everywhere you look, there is suffering. Jordan Peterson said that the, the only thing we can know for real is that life is painful. We know there's pain in this world, and yet it seems like there are certain people in certain places who experience far more than their fair share of pain or loss, like this widow. And you might be like that as well. You might have found out news this week, or you might have had things that have happened this year that have put you in a place where you feel shattered by life. And you're connecting with this woman, and I want to tell you that there's hope for you. And we're going to see how Jesus brings hope to this woman. And I believe Jesus wants to bring hope to you. This story is a microcosm of the whole ministry of Jesus, the whole message of the Bible. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're trying to understand what's this Jesus deal all about. Here we have in this story an incredibly beautiful picture, a summary of what the entire Bible teaches. Namely, that God created every person on the planet. He made them in the image of God. They're made with dignity and worth. You are made with dignity and worth and calling and value. You and every other person on the planet in human history, God made us in his image. And he made us for a purpose, with a calling. We were to walk with him and we were to love one another and we were to build a world where people would flourish. That's God's desire. God's desire from beginning to end is to bring life. We, Adam and Eve, and us, uh, all of us really, when you think about it, have turned from God and said, no, we don't want you to be our king. We want to be our own kings. We don't want you to be our creator. We want to create life on our own terms. We don't want you to be our God. I want to be my own God. I want to decide. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. When Adam and Eve made this choice, that's the story, that's the meaning of the story in the garden. When they made this choice, they began to experience the consequences that come like every choice that we make. As they made this choice, their relationship with God became broken. Their relationship with one another moved from a place of deep love to a place of conflict. And you see this breakdown in their family where one son kills another son. I share this story with you over and over each week because I want you to understand the message of the gospel. If you're not a Christian, this is it. You can look around us and you can see the after effects, the ongoing effects of sin, what the Bible calls sin, the power of sin in our world. Everywhere we look, there's pain, there's suffering, there's loss. We're destroying ourselves. Everywhere we look. And God, in his mercy, didn't leave us just to, well, you get what you deserve. He didn't leave us like that. He came in Jesus. You realize in this story that we're reading that no one called for Jesus. No one sent for him. Last week, someone sent for him. Someone called for him. This week, no one called for him. And yet he came. And in the Gospels, we see that people had turned from God, and yet God came for them anyway. Not to bring accusation against them, but to bring life, just like Jesus is bringing into this situation. Right. And sin, uh, one of the pictures the Bible uses that makes us spiritually dead. So all of us, in a way, are like this woman. We've experienced the shattering effects of life in this world. And all of us are like the sun. 
We've experienced death. We're in spiritual death. And Jesus has come to us just like he came to them. And he's extended an offer of life and life to the full. He wants to restore us. He wants to make us new. When he goes to the cross, he breaks the power of sin. When he rises again, he offers new life, just like he's giving new life to this woman's son. And when you receive Jesus, when you say, Jesus, I need that. I need to follow you. I need your healing in my life. When you receive that, you receive life. And God restores you and he makes you new and he makes you into the person that he created you to be. If you're not a Christian, that's the big story of the Bible. That's what we want you to know more than anything. And we want you to know Jesus. And at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ if you've never done that before. Okay, so back to our story. Uh, we are looking and now we see that we've seen the situation of this woman. We've seen what's going on in her. Now in verse 13, we see what Jesus does. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. This is an important passage right here. This is a turning point in the story. Jesus sees her. Think about it. Jesus has a ministry to save the whole world. He is an important person with a lot to do. When we saw him heal the centurion's servant, you can be like, yeah, the centurion was powerful. He was affluent. Maybe Jesus was thinking, if I heal his servant, then the centurion will go and he'll tell all of Rome about me. Or maybe Jesus needed a donation, right? And the centurion was affluent. So maybe Jesus is thinking, yeah, if I heal him, you know, maybe he'll donate to my ministry. We, we could think those things. I don't think that was his motivation. We could think that. But here in this widow, here's a powerless person with no hope and no future, no connections, no resources, in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing significant about her. And yet we see the goodness of Jesus on display and that he goes out of his way for her. And he stops and he sees her. And if you've been shattered by life and you feel like I'm nothing significant, I want you to know that Jesus is still going out of his way to pursue people like this widow, to pursue you and to pursue me and to see us, to see what's going on, to understand her situation. And I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And Jesus responds to her and it says, here we see something about you. It says his heart went out to her. His heart went out to her. Your translation might say he had compassion on her and he said, don't cry. Now, this was such a shock in his day. You see, the dominant religion of Rome, excuse me, was something called Stoicism. And it was a philosophy about life. If any of you have ever listened to the Tim Keller, uh, not Tim Keller, Tim Ferriss podcast or read the four hour work week, he's real into Stoicism. It's kind of made a popular return, but it's an ancient philosophy and one of the basic tenets was that God has no emotions, that God cannot feel. And the line of thought goes like this. If I can make you feel something, I can influence you. And if I can influence you, even for a moment, I have power over you. So if people could make God feel something, then by definition, people would have power over God, which is a logical fallacy. So the Stoics said it's impossible for God to have feelings, for God to care. That was the dominant religion of the day. And when we're in hard times and when we're suffering and when we're experiencing loss, 
It's so easy to have that feeling. God doesn't care. God's not here. I'm on my own. That was stoicism. What we see in Jesus, and as a reminder, when we look at Jesus, we're seeing God, is that Jesus is not the God of the Stoics. He's not the God that the Stoics presented. He's not an unmoving, unfeeling, distant God. But he sees this woman and his heart goes out to her. That would have been so shocking in Jesus' day to see God having compassion on this woman. This is not a one-off event in Jesus' life. In fact, if you read through the Gospels over and over and over again, Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus has compassion on people and it marks his life and moves him. And here he's moved with compassion for this woman. Now we learn two important things as we're following Jesus, as we're practicing the way of Jesus about how we can pray for the sick or how we can minister healing in this verse. I changed the kind of the, the, yes, we're talking about how to pray for the sick but I really mean how to minister healing because everyone prays for the sick. Everyone, regardless of your religion or lack thereof, right? We have thoughts and prayers, you know, or um, uh, I have a buddy who's at his work, a coworker was diagnosed with cancer and the team decided, hey, we're gonna have a prayer meeting for him. It's not their normal custom, but you know, they're faced with sickness. And he said, it was kind of crazy. All these people who would never talk about God uh, he's known him for a long time. All of a sudden, they all turn into Pentecostal prayer warriors when they're faced with sickness. Everyone prays for the sick, right? What we're talking about, though, is not just praying for the sick, but ministering healing in the way of Jesus. Big difference. So what do we see here? We see first thing that we can do to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to practice the way of Jesus, is to see people, to see the person. To notice them, Jesus stops for this insignificant woman who's suffering. He notices her. He sees her. This is one thing that we all can do is that we can notice people. We can see them. We can learn their stories. We can learn what people have been through. We can see what's going on in their own life. So much of our world is just dominated by self-interest Our minds are me, 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 and me, right? What we see Jesus doing is noticing people, and we can notice people, we can see people, and we can care about them, right? That's number two, show compassion. We can demonstrate compassion. To demonstrate compassion doesn't mean you need to be an overly emotional person, although you can. It doesn't mean you need to be touchy and feely, although you might be. What it means is just showing people that someone sees them And someone cares. And anyone can demonstrate compassion. We don't just want to show people our compassion. We want to point them to the compassion of Jesus. Because Jesus has compassion on suffering people. And it's so often when we're suffering, again, it's easy to think God is like the Stoics. And what we want to do is say, no, 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 no. Jesus sees you and he has compassion on you. So significant. I want to point out to you what I pointed out last week is notice what Jesus doesn't do in this passage. He doesn't tell her, woman, I guess the father needed your son more than you do, so he took him to heaven. He doesn't 
tell the woman, you know, this is part of God's plan. You just need to trust it. He doesn't tell her, woman, this is, you know, sent by God upon you because of what you've done. He doesn't do any of those things. Now, is there a place to talk about the sovereignty of God? Yes. Is there a place to talk about sin? Yes. I'm very interested in both of those things. I just want to point out to you, when Jesus faces the suffering of this world, that's not what he's focusing in on. So often, as well-meaning Christians, we can focus in on those things. Our first kind of response can be, well, this is God's plan, or maybe God needed him more in heaven than, than you, or finding some fault. We, we often can do those things. That can be our default response. I just want to point out to you, that's not the default response of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to follow Jesus and not just have good religious intentions. Jesus leads with compassion. This is so significant. It's hard to underestimate this, the power of this. Last year when we moved into our house, I had the Wi-Fi guy come over to install Wi-Fi. And I try when contractors come to take time to see them and notice them. Because I, I realize they're going from house to house to house all day long, right, again and again and again. So I try and take notice of them. So I started talking to this guy. He's 23 or 24. He's Turkish background, uh, but grew up here in Dallas. His mom is Catholic. His dad was Muslim. So kind of a, a mixture of faith in his home. And uh, as I'm talking with him, I'm learning how he got in the business and, you know, Wi-Fi tips and all of that. And I sense the Holy Spirit nudging me. I don't know if you ever felt that, but you're like, this is more than just a, you know, guy that's putting some Wi-Fi. And my house, I sense the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell the guy that Jesus loved him. And I want to know if there's a way I could pray for him. Now, I tell you, I've been doing this 20 years. Every time it's still like, ooh, that feels a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> but we don't just live for our comfort. We want to follow Jesus. And so right. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, I, I kind of tell him, I say, hey, man, uh, I, before you go, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. And I believe in the power of prayer. And I want to know if there's any way I could pray for you. And he responds like, actually, no. I was like, okay. Um, I, you know, what do you say? In that moment, I'm like, okay. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Well, tell me more about that. Why, why not? And he said, well, actually, I hate God. Okay. This isn't going uh, very good. <laughs> I said, well, why? And he said, well, I was engaged to this girl that I loved, and she struggled with alcoholism. Now, he was a young man. He was 23, 24. She struggled with alcoholism, and she recently died from drinking herself to death. And I've just been shattered by life. And he said, in that time, a pastor, and I don't know if he's talking about a Christian pastor or a Muslim imam, but some sort of religious leader to him, told him, hey, this is part of God's plan, and you just need to trust it. And he said, if this is part of God's plan, I hate God. Again, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. If you don't speak in tongues, you'll start to speak in tongues in those moments because you're just like, I don't know what to do. But I'm so thankful that someone has shown me passages like these because we can always demonstrate compassion. So I said to the guy, I said, look, man, I don't know why things happen. I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus has compassion on you in your pain. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to have loss and when he sees you, he has compassion on you. 
And I want to pray for you that you would experience the compassion and the comfort of Jesus in your loss. So I said, okay, you can do that. So I prayed for him, simple prayer. Jesus, uh, I pray for my friend that he would experience the compassion and the comfort that you bring, that you love him, and I pray he would know that. Very simple prayer. Say amen. He says, thank you. He starts packing up his stuff, taking it back out to the truck. After a couple rounds, he comes back in. And he says, hey, um, I just want you to know thank you for doing that. Except for the first time since my fiance passed away, I'm, I'm experiencing some peace on the inside. And I could like a God like you talk about that has compassion on people. So thank you. It's a powerful moment. Significant moment for him and for me. Compassion is so powerful. And we want to lead with that because that's what Jesus led with. Let's go back to our text. In verse 14, Jesus goes up to her and he touches the beer they were carrying him on. Again, not the drink, but the kind of stretcher. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. So here we see another way to pray that brings healing. We're going to look at this in just a moment. What I found interesting in preparing for this sermon, you know, sometimes we hear these stories and we're like, did that really happen? Or did the person just kind of, I don't know, disappear after that? I found a letter from a guy named Quadratus, who was an early Christian leader writing to the emperor of Rome, Hadrian, about Christianity. Remember, Rome is persecuting Christians at this time. Notice what he said. He said, the persons who were healed, meaning by Jesus, and those who were raised from the dead by Jesus were not only seen when they were healed and raised, but they were also present afterwards, not merely during the time that the Savior walked upon the earth, but after his departure also. They were still there for a considerable time so that some of them lived even until our times. So this work that Jesus did in this uh, boy and in this family, right? This guy shouldn't disappear after that, but he was like walking around Rome. Uh, he was walking around Nain, right? And they're like, oh, that's the guy Jesus raised from the dead. He introduced himself, tell you my life story. Well, I died one time. <laughs> you know, just think about the power of this family's testimony. Again, I shared last week, you too have a testimony. When we share that, it has power. So here we see Jesus praying for the sick. And this is a second way that we've seen to pray for the sick. Last week, we saw the prayer that was, uh, I believe you can do anything if you want to, Jesus. And I won't ask you if you want to. And Jesus healed the centurion's servant. That's one way to pray. Jesus said that was a prayer of great faith. The if you can do anything, Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry, not if you can do anything. Jesus, you can do anything if you want to. I had someone come up to me after the service last week, told me that they had actually been healed from praying that prayer. Jesus, if you want to, you can do this. Okay, that's one prayer that we saw last week. But there's a prayer of even less faith <laughs> that Jesus moves through, and it's the prayer of, if you can do anything, please help. In Luke chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, we see a story of a man who has a son who's very sick with a condition, and he comes to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, Please help my son, right? I mean, that is not much faith. And God is so good that he moved through that man's prayers. So many times 
when we're praying for the sick, I hear people say, you know, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I just want to point out to you, if you can do anything, was enough faith for God to work through. God's scale is a lot different than the pressure we put on ourselves, right? So that's number one. Number two, I know you can if you want to. Number three, we're going to come across in Luke 8, which is if I can just get to Jesus, then everything will be okay. We're going to read about a woman who had a bleeding issue that had been with her for over a decade, been to lots of doctors, not been healed. She hears about Jesus and she's like, man, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed, right? There is power in the presence of God to bring healing. And one of the ways that we see is bringing people into the presence of God and they experience healing. If I can just get to Jesus then. Number four, what we just read is declarative faith. Jesus says, young man, sit up, right? He's not praying a prayer. He's actually declaring something. And when God speaks something, the power to make the word that he spoke turn into reality is within the word. God spoke, created the world out of nothing, right? He spoke, and there it was. Jesus speaks, and now this dead man becomes alive. It's the power of his word. You'd be like, well, okay, Zach, but I don't have power like that. <laughs> that's Jesus. Like, that's kind of like reserved seating over there for him. We don't, we don't go near that. Good point. What I want to point out to you, though, is in verse 11, we see that with Jesus are his disciples. You see, this is a story almost like a teaching hospital where the disciples are with him because they want to be with him, but they're also learning to do the work that Jesus did, to minister in the way of Jesus. And we're going to see in Luke 9 and Luke 10 what's upcoming. Jesus actually sends them out without him to bring healing where they go. And in Acts chapter 3, we kind of see a longer story of it. And we see them bring healing to sick people through this declarative faith. They come across a beggar who asks them for money. And they say, well, silver and gold we have not. But what we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the beggar that is crippled stands up and can walk. Now, where in the world did these disciples learn that declarative prayer? They learned it in the school of ministry with Jesus, right? And it's not a prayer of presumption. It's like I can say stuff and get God to do it. But it's cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit such that God speaks to you and leads you what God wants to do what God wants to say, and God wants to work through us. And for some of us, you're going to be amazed at what God can do through you as you practice the way of Jesus. So those are four ways to pray that we see here kind of in this passage. So let's, let's uh, break it on down. Um, back to our how to minister healing. So he says, see the person, show compassion, yours in Christ. Now listen to the Holy Spirit for prayer selection. How do you know which prayer to pray? How do you know what to do? Which one of those should you use? You're going to have to listen to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you wants to speak and wants to equip you and wants to guide you. He wants to minister through you. And so we listen to the Spirit. And then we respond. Number four, we pray slow but not verbose prayers and be sensitive to the Spirit. So when I say slow, you're not like, Jesus, and move on because you're insecure and it's just like, I'm afraid, Right? Slow down. God wants to move through you. At the least, people experience compassion. At the most, they experience healing, right? 
But you don't need to pray for like 10 minutes, naming every you know, Bible verse you ever heard and praying for every person you can think of. No. You can be short, but slow, and let the Spirit work. Now, back to our verse. We're going to see what happens. Uh, verse 15, the dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. So not only is this boy's life restored, but his mom's life is restored too. So that gives us point number five in how to minister healing. And that is to follow up, see what happens. And this takes a little courage. Hey, did you, I don't know, did you notice anything when we prayed? Are you feeling different? Can you do something different that you couldn't do? Before like asking those questions, right? You're like, ooh, that'd be really scary. Yeah, but it creates an environment where the Lord heals people. And we want to see that happen, and we want to pursue that. Okay, so the five steps, five kind of just a little process that you can use as you come across someone who is sick that you want to minister healing to. That's exciting. You're equipped now. You're equipped to be a minister of healing. That's encouraging. Yeah. Uh, you guys are, are trained now. Now, last week, I uh, closed the message by saying, well, does this actually happen today? I mean... We're talking the Bible, but, but does this happen today? Steve's, Steve's with me. But I told you I was going to share a story with you from our own midst that would uh, testify to the healing power of Jesus at work in our midst. Behind me, you'll see a picture of a girl named Courtney Benford. She has a different last name now because she's, she's recently gotten married. But Courtney used to be a part of our church uh, several years ago. Smart girl. Uh, has two grad degrees, one from Harvard. So, I mean, you, you know, like your next level brain power. There, she moved to Dallas to work in kind of the education realm, became a part of our church, able-bodied girl with, you know, a future and uh, lots going on for her. And uh, one day she woke up and had a migraine headache. Now, migraines are, are common. You know, people get migraines. But this migraine, one, turned into multiple kind of this ongoing migraine condition. It was so bad that it incapacitated her that she didn't have the energy. She experienced great fatigue and didn't have the energy to uh, get out and get around and do life, right? And she was in our church, and you're just seeing this girl kind of wither before our eyes. Uh, she lost kind of the, the strength in her body, the fatigue, the migraines. So, so bad she had to move back to where her parents live in Phoenix because she just couldn't do life anymore. She needed help. In a wheelchair uh, to help her, like get around. Uh, that's a picture of her at her graduation from Harvard. Uh, there in the wheelchair, so able-bodied girl now needing to be pushed around at graduation. Incredibly difficult situation. She had developed a condition called POTS. You can look it up on Google to find out more about it. It's a fairly rare disease that you don't get better from. It's just it shatters your life. She got enrolled in a study with the Mayo Clinic because they're trying to figure out more about how to treat this disease. And she's back in Phoenix and just is like her life has been shattered. She's going to the Antioch church that's there. We have a sister church in Phoenix. If you've got friends in Phoenix who need a good church, she's going there. And they talked about the training school like we have. And she said, well, I don't really have anything else to do. Uh, maybe I'll see if I can be in the school. I can't do the reading. I can't do all the extra work, but I could lay on the floor if they'll let me, and I'll just kind of soak in the teaching and be around the people of God. So I said, okay. So she goes into school, and she just, many days, just lays there uh, during class, just soaking in what's going on. 
kind of halfway through the school, the school decides that they, are, are, they do a fast. They're learning about Christian fasting. So they say, we're going to do a fast for 10 days. Uh, and we're going to pray for Courtney to be healed during this fast. I'd make you feel good if you had friends rallying around you to fast and pray. So they go into this fast, and they're fasting, and they're praying. They get to the tail end of the fast. Courtney is spending time with the Lord one day, reading her Bible, praying. And she senses God begin to stir something in her and remind her of all the times that he had superseded her expectations. And she was led to a verse in Ephesians that God will do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. And so she started sensing like the Lord saying, no, I want to do above and beyond what you could ask or imagine in your life. As she, she felt, just in prayer, she said, I feel like I'm supposed to go to the gym where I do physical therapy, uh, but not take my wheelchair. And that was a very uncommon occurrence for her. So she kind of stumbles her way to the car, to the gym. She gets there, but she's, she's like, I got a little more strength than normal today. She goes into the gym. She gets on the treadmill. She felt like she was supposed to get on the treadmill and start to walk. And so this walk is like slow and labored. And she has her... Uh, you know, earphones in. She's listening to God of Miracles by Chris McClarney and just worshiping and, and just trying to take these steps of faith. And she said as she started walking, then she said, oh, I can actually do this. She started walking a little faster. She pressed the faster button on the treadmill. Oh, I, 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 can, I can do this. Faster again. I can do this. Faster again. I, there's something happening in my body. So she cranks it on up to running, and she runs for two miles. Now, for many of us, running two miles would be a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> She's running two miles. All the symptoms and the side effects and the pain of this Potts disease that has shattered her life goes away. Come on. She's completely healed. Here's a picture of her post. Yeah, she can, she can jump. I have a video, I, I couldn't, couldn't import it into the system that she sent to me uh, of, of her training school classmates seeing her as she came back from the gym, now walking, not in a wheelchair, now walking, the person they've been praying and fasting for. And as you can imagine, that deal about great amazement that we looked at in Luke, I mean, they were blown away. It's an awesome video. That was maybe two years ago, two years ago now, Steve? Two-ish years ago, she's married, she's got a job, things are moving forward. It's not like, oh, did that come back? No, she's healed, completely healed. That's amazing. Just stop for a moment. That's amazing. Jesus heals. And Jesus uses people like you and me to bring healing to other people. That's exciting. That's what we're about. And just as I close, I sensed as I was preparing for this message just that story from Acts 3 that I referenced where the beggar had to stand up, had to exert some faith of his to respond to the word that was given. And I believe for us as a church that the Lord is speaking a word about ways he wants to move in healing in our midst and through us in our city. And that this is a word for us to pursue, to step into, to, to, to not just say, oh, that's cool. I kind of like that story. Wow. And just move on. But say, no, no, no. I, I, I'm going to respond. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to, I want to walk in everything God has for me. I want to practice the way of Jesus, and I want to pursue this ministry of healing. And I believe if we'll do that, if we'll respond, 
God will do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine in our own lives and the lives of those that we know here in this city. And that's really exciting. So I want to invite you to stand. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, I need to know the God that has compassion and wants to heal, wants to bring life. We want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. Our prayer and prophetic team will be up here at the front after the service. You can come up and you can say, hey, please help me. I want to know Jesus. And we'd love to help you take that step. Uh, a couple words that we sense just kind of in praying for the service is that God is a deliverer. And then he wants to minister to people looking for deliverance this morning. So if you're in a situation where you're like, I need a deliverer and I need deliverance, we want to pray and minister to you. Uh, another person um, who saw a picture of someone mowing a yard and the lawn was filled with weeds. And they almost started mowing over them, but the last second they stopped and began to pull them out by hand. And God is saying to someone this morning, you need to pull out the weeds. Don't wait till later. Don't wait till you're done mowing pull out the weeds, that they're weeds that God would want to pull out of people's lives today that we want to minister to people. If you know what that is, we want to minister to you. And then last one, a picture of someone with shoes on at the beach. They tried to run in the sand, but their shoes were filling with sand. And they sense that God's saying the shoes represent legalism and that if you take legalism out of your life, you'll be free to run harder than you have ever before. So if you struggle with legalism, where your relationship with God is all about rules and regulations, Jesus wants to set you free and wants to free you up to run. And we believe that God wants to minister to you. So if I can get the prayer and prophetic team to come forward, I'm going to pray for everyone. Uh, if you're sick, we want to pray for you as well. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you're a God who has compassion on people. Thank you that you're a God that when you see the shattered lives of this world, Lord, you're moved with compassion. And your desire and your express will from Scripture is to heal lives to heal hearts, to heal families, to heal bodies, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. And we, as your people, as people who want to practice the way, Lord, let us have courage to pursue this and to step out. And we'll see you move in power in our midst and see you move through us in the city. In Jesus' name, amen.